All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the Beef and Bitcoin podcast with your hosts, Brett and CH. Uh, today's topics, we're going to try to make this a quick one. Bitcoin is on the move as we speak, uh, trying to get a little closer to 9K. And we'll, we'll talk about that for a few minutes. Also looks like uh, Binance is getting into the margin business. Looks like margin trading is going to be starting soon. That could be uh, scary for all the, the new folks who are having fun trading shitcoins on Binance. They, they could find themselves liquidated soon. And then uh, the last thing we wanted to talk about was some of the benefits of sound money. And the U.S. Army posted an interesting tweet this weekend that uh, got a lot of responses. And Safety and Moose, the author of the Bitcoin Standard, had another um, thread on that particular topic. And there's a lot to kind of dive in there with regards to Bitcoin and sound money and, you know, what kind of environment that leads to. But uh, yeah, man, how you doing today? It's sun- Sunday fun day, right? Monday, yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, Bitcoin price, we might as well just talk about that. I mean, we just hit a new high for 2019 and I think we got up over 8,900. So, I mean, it's it's getting up there. And the funny thing is like this time around, no one cares. Like, and as uh, CH and I were discussing before, like no one's going to care. Like mainstream people, like not mainstream people, I guess mainstream media normies are not going to care until it hits 20k again then it'll become a sensation and i don't know what that will do again to price but it's considering that the infrastructure is a lot better now in 2019 than it was in early 2017 even towards late 2017 when exchanges like kraken just were dysfunctional for a whole month um it's getting interesting and it'll be interesting to see how the uh public you know perceives crypto this time around after the huge crash I don't think a lot of people realize how crypto cycles work and how violent and quick they go. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people misunderstand with crypto is that the cycles are just so much faster. Uh, like even in 2017, a lot of, there was what, three different cycles for some altcoins. Like it's pretty, that's pretty insane. At least two, you know, um, and then when you even talk about Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin is doing what it did in 2017 where it just kind of is impervious and like, yeah, it might dump like 10% like it did like, you know, a week ago where it just dumped like 10% out of nowhere or 20, it might even been 20%. It was, yeah, it went from 80, yeah, it went from 83 down to 62. So, I mean, it, it, it dumped literally 20%. That's like a bear market and then went back up. So, I mean, that that's the reality of what we're facing now. It's the uh, impervious Bitcoin where, I mean, yes, it will dump, but then it just keeps going. Um, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to figure out where this demand's coming from because there are obviously buyers. Uh, this is definitely getting interesting. <laughs> what do you think here? No, I mean, you made a good point about the cycles just being so much faster. And, um, that's something not everybody thinks about. And it's actually kind of a, um, a debate in the, whatever you want to call this community of people who are, have stuck around the, the Bitcoin space for the last couple of years, um, whether or not the cycles take longer or happen faster. And when you kind of zoom out and take a, take a look at it, sometimes I don't think that the cycles are always going to be that much longer because, um, if my theory is correct, and this isn't my theory, this is, you know, Bitcoin Tino kind of put me onto this and then I, I, 
saw it happening in real life, that price drives adoption, that I think the cycles may end up getting faster for certain uh, periods because of that fact, that price does drive adoption. So the FOMO here at, you know, call it 8,700 is, um, is pretty much minuscule. I mean, it's only FOMO and euphoria for the people who are still here over the last, you know, 24 months. And then from all the people who got in in 2013 and the last bull market in 2017 and, Nobody else is, really knows about it. I mean, maybe you have one or two more uh, friends, your normie friends who are now texting you about it, asking questions. I mean, last bull market in 2017 was, you know, people's parents, grandparents, uncles were texting about Bitcoin and, and crypto. So I don't think the FOMO has even gotten started yet, to be quite honest with everybody. And if we do FOMO, to a new all-time high and we hit a new all-time high before the halving, then you can kind of um, put the nail in the coffin that the cycles are getting longer because I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Typically, you see a new all-time high after the next halving. And um, if that happens before May of 2020, then you know I don't know that we can always say that the uh, cycles are going to get longer. But you can see it play out on the chart. I mean, things just move very quickly, very fast. It wasn't that many weeks ago when we were talking about 5K Bitcoin um, under 4K. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't even that long ago when we were trying to debate if we were still in a bear market or not. And now it's like, I don't, I, I like, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're really pumping here and that's, um, it's hard to ignore that, but you don't know you're out of the bear market until like the bear market's clearly over and you're in a bull market. Um, and that's what, that's what's scary. Cause you can, you can miss that. I mean, you, if, if you're, if you just started stacking now, you missed from 30 to 3,300 and a hundred, a hundred percent plus move already because you were waiting for it to drop lower. And a lot of people were doing that and, um, that sucks. Well, I think it's always funny. Uh, like, like right now, it's up. Bitcoin itself is up thirty five over thirty five hundred dollars this month, which is pretty insane. And like, there, like if you look at this monthly candlestick here, it's getting pretty ridiculous again. Uh, and we have five days left in this. Well, I guess it's technically if four days or actually five. I guess twenty seventh, twenty eighth, because it's technically whatever time for Bitcoin. It's like. If you talk about like it's already the twenty seventh technically on the daily candle, so you have like four or five days worth of trading left in this monthly candle, which could be very interesting. We could see ten k Bitcoin, which would I don't even know what to say about that. That that might push more people into it, but still, I think that like it's insane that like no one's talking about it. I feel like comparatively to um, what was looking at that, that would have been I think March of or not, excuse me November of twenty seventeen when we hit that you know, 8K level and everyone was talking about it. Like it was just complete FOMO. So like, yeah, and the, yeah, it got pretty out of control pretty fast. I mean, a couple <laughs> weeks. So That's what, like, dude, like, okay, at the rate we're going, we're the, sorry, I back away from Mike, but the rate we're going right now, it's like, how long, like, what, where are we going to be in a month? Like at, at this rate, where, are we going to be at 20K in a month? It, John McAfee might not have to cut off his dick. I mean, it's... <laughs> 
<laughs> Dude, that's true. I mean, and, and that's what's so hard about it because, uh, you know, in six months, wherever the price will be, we have no clue. And you'll you'll zoom out and you'll take a look at it and you'll say, do you remember when the bull market started? And people are going to look at the charts and clearly say, oh, well, it, you know, it started once we pumped through 4K. And then I'll respond with, yeah, well, you weren't fucking there, man. It still felt pretty bearish even when we were going above 4K. Nobody cared. It was all like a, it was a little pump and, you know, it's, uh, we're getting ready for 2,800 and I'm going to, I'm going to wait then until I start buying again, blah, blah, blah. Um, so by the time, I mean, hindsight's always 2020 and it'll be obvious where the bull market looks like it got started from. But when you're living through it in real time, it's like impossible to tell. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I'm actually kind of frustrated now because I can't, trading view i'm sorry just whatever it did it took away wherever it used to have the uh, you can invert your chart and it'd be pretty interesting to see this inverted because that's what's going on right now again like bitcoin's just gaining on the dollar again a stupid amount yeah that's actually a good point to talk about i mean think about um, it, a person that owns an individual bitcoin theoretically is up thirty five hundred dollars this month doing nothing yeah i mean that's really powerful and um it shows a lot about how uh, volatile the asset is itself, but also how quickly it can move and what true scarcity looks like when it is represented in a graphical representation of the emotions of the Bitcoin economy. Like literally, that's what it is, just printed on the screen of everyone's emotions um, being played out. And it's it's crazy to watch, but you're you're also seeing just fiat get gobbled up by Bitcoin, you know, day after day, block after block, every ten minutes, it's grabbing value from all over the place. And I can't imagine what we're saying, you know, after the next having, after the having after that, in a decade. I mean, it gets wild to think about because it's already been ten years. And it's not dead yet. And every every day that it doesn't die just, you know, gives more conviction to, to Bitcoin and that it's really going to stick around. The kids being born today are Bitcoin will have always existed, which is crazy to think about. It will most likely outlive all of us by millennia as well. That's crazy. That's a mind fuck. That like Bitcoin's going to be around way longer than you're alive. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot of mind fucks with this whole thing. Um, I, I don't even, you know, I think this would be a good way to transition into uh, Syph Dean's comments earlier, I think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I think, so Crypto sent me this last night, um, and it was actually the, oh gosh, I don't want to click on it because then I have to go backwards. But um, basically there is like a, like there's obviously just like a U.S. Army post on the official U.S. Army Twitter, and it's like had somebody saying how the army impacted them. It was like a 10 second clip, and then says you know tweeted again below like you know follow thread or whatever. How has serving impacted you? And it was bad. It was like really bad. And obviously there's probably some fake ones in there, but I don't think you could rule out all of them being fake. Like it was there was like over 9,000 comments when I checked last night, and it was up for the day. Like it was really bad. Um, but Syfy makes a point here. Don't like Bitcoin's proof of work. Think it's too expensive. See the responses to this tweet for the real cost of backward and barbaric technology backing up your U.S. dollar. 
Bitcoin isn't burning electricity to process your transactions, but to ensure the safe operation of the system without political control. The opportunity cost of Bitcoin mining is a political system of control over money, which forever means... Uh, I'll read off the rest of this thing. And then, so here I'll just read what some of these tweets like. The combat cocktail, PTSD, severe depression, anxiety, isolation, suicide attempts, never-ending rage. It cost me my relationship with my eldest son and my grandson. It cost me some of my men so much more. How did serving impact me? Ask my family. And that was just like one of the tweets. But there was a boatload of tweets like that, and it was like, wow. I was pretty surprised the uh, tweet was still up just because of how um, you know, whether, you know, I, I don't think all of them are true, but still it was like, it was kind of, I don't know. Yeah. It was pretty interesting to say the least. Uh, and so I can continue to go on and say the chicken hawk Keynesians who are always, and Keynesians means Keynesian economists, are always cheerleading for war because it's good for GDP and for dollar hegemony will never experience any of the costs which help the rotten trash between their ears believe that cheap money is free. Tunisian economists can never answer address this point in my book. Why did all the greatest mass murders in modern history come from society with easy money? Why does hard money never produce these maniacs? Why is there no Swiss Stalin? And I'm just going to read this little... I, I believe this from a book. My, I, he said it's from his book, but do you, are you sure this is? I, 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 it's been a while since I read it, but I'm, I'm almost positive it is, but that's what he said. So here it is. It is no coincidence that when you recounting the most horrific tyrants of history, one finds that every single one of them operated a system of government-issued money, which was constantly inflated to finance government operation. There is a very good reason that Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Adolf Hitler, Maximilian Robespierre, Pol Pot, Benito Mussolini, Kim Jong-il, and many other notorious criminals all ruled in a period of unsound money or unsound government issued money which they could print at their will to finance their genocidal and totalitarian megalomania it is the same reason that the same societies which birthed these mass murders did not produce anyone close to their level of criminality when living under a sound monetary systems which required governments to tax before they spent none of these monsters even or None of these monsters ever repealed sound money in order to fund their mass murder. The destruction of sound money had come before, hailed with wonderful feel-good stories involving children, education, worker liberation, national pride. But once sound money was destroyed, it became very fast for these criminals to take power or take over power and take command of all their society's resources by increasing the supply of unsound money. And I'm going to reread the line. The destruction of sound money had come before, hailed with wonderful feel-good stories involving children, education, worker liberation, and national pride. What does that remind you of? Yeah. I mean, that's you hear the same thing, and history repeats itself. Uh, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough to hear because you don't think about the other side of the coin and it's very easy to point to all of the the benefits of easy money and credit expansion and uh, look how prosperous things are because people can take out loans and uh, you know follow their dreams, go to school, get an education, all this stuff. And then you look at the the unseen costs, 
all of the the drawn out wars we've seen throughout history um all of the you know the if you read that thread the US army thread uh a lot of pain and suffering from many many families which is very sad and very powerful to read but that's um that's a that's a cost of fiat money and easy money that's you know one of the um the symptoms that you're kind of left with and when you think about and that's kind of why I wanted to name this topic the benefits of sound money because things like that go away. Nobody's going to spend, <laughs> I hate to use the word real money here, but you know, nobody's going to spend their Bitcoin to, to fund war. It, and I, I won't know that that's true in, until you know, it's a couple of decades from now and everybody's using Bitcoin and it's worth a lot more and it's uh, the, the backbone of you know, the financial infrastructure that we're using. And it'll, it's hard to prove, but it's just not going to make any sense. You can't pay for bad ideas or bad projects that don't have like a, a positive MPV because no one's going to, no one's going to spend their money for that shit right now. We don't think about it. You can just, um, you know, the government prints or, uh, does whatever they need to do to get government contracts for, you know, defense or whatever. And you don't the you and I don't think about it. We lose our purchasing power a couple of points per year, and you know we go on our merry way. We keep, you know, doing the same old shit that we have been doing, and don't think twice about it. Except that you know the dollar's lost ninety five percent of its purchasing power since nineteen thirteen. Uh, it's it's hard to to see that happen unless you lose like fifty percent of your net worth in a weekend, like what's happened to people in Iran and Venezuela, then it would make sense. If you saw it directly like that, or if you had to write a check every time um, a, a new war is started or um, troops are sent to uh, you know another country to engage in, in battle, if you had to write a check for that every month, then maybe you would um, be more hesitant or you would, you would speak up about it. But since it just happens, you get a haircut to your savings that you don't even know about. Uh, it's easy to just, to just not see that happen. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more there. And, um, I don't know if we've mentioned before on this podcast or I have mentioned personally, um, there's 21 trillion of unaccounted like expenses from the Pentagon. And that's like not covered. It's rarely covered by any mainstream media in the U.S., like Fox, MSNBC, CNN, etc. Um, there's very few articles about it, and well, there's some articles about it, obviously now, but it's not covered, and it's such a big issue because 21 trillion dollars is well, our national debt's not 22 trillion, but it's a basically equivalent, um, and no one seems to care, and that's purchasing power gone. I don't know where those dollars are going. No one knows where those dollars are going. And there's very few information about what it was used for. And that's a huge deal. It's $21 trillion gone in the thin air. Well, not gone in thin air. It's just increased into supply. So you're just looking at purchasing power and getting whittled away. Um, and people wonder why, like, I'm always, like, so pessimistic. It's, like, things like that. It's, like, oh, our dollar is a lot more fucked than people realize. And, and that means not just the dollar. You're talking basically all fiat currency right now. It's just... Com Everything is basically falling. It's just some are falling faster than others. And we see that like Venezuela obviously fell faster, Iran, Turkey, etc. Right. No, that's that's actually something I try to say often if I can is that um, 
don't think that your currency can't suffer from hyperinflation because it's unpredictable and it can happen anywhere because there's, I don't know, maybe a group of a dozen individuals who are in charge of determining what the interest rate is for the currency that you use. And um, depending upon what they do, you could wind up seeing a big haircut over the weekend um, because of that. So uh, while I am very thankful to live in the United States and the dollar has worked since I've, I've been alive, hasn't really let me down all that much, even though I've, I've lost some purchasing power over the last um, two decades, I guess I should say, that I've been spending my own money, um, that can go away very quickly. And another thing I was thinking uh, that I heard somebody say is that you don't realize that you need Bitcoin until it's too late. So let's say you are living in the U.S. and you're like, ah, I'm not too worried about the, the trade war. I'm not worried about hyperinflation. I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about that. My money works. And then you, the hyperinflation happens over the weekend and it's too late for you to buy Bitcoin at that point. Like you, you already missed out. So I think that's another um, good thing to think about when deciding if Bitcoin something that you want to add as a hedge to your portfolio or if you just want to, you know, stack sats for 10 years from now, whatever. Uh, it's, it's just good to think about that. It's better to have Bitcoin before you need it than realizing it after the fact. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, you're exactly right. And the same thing would be like as in holding gold or real estate, except right. silver. It it's better to have it because you know before things you know move uh, in a sense. So I mean that's like even as you said, you, you more than anyone have been openly you stack sats and you've been you were doing it when Bitcoin you know was thirty one hundred thirty whatever thirty three, and obviously that paid off well for you because now you're basically up three times. I guess, yeah, 200% basically, I mean, which is not bad. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it, I didn't have to think too much about, you know, 25 bucks here, 100 bucks there, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, occasionally. And it's something that I didn't really have to think about. And you only know that it works after the fact. So, you know, in two or three more years, I'll be telling the same story. I'll be like, yeah, well, I was... I was stacking all these sats in early 2019 in the depths of the bear market and I'm up X number of times now on all of that and I'm just going to sit on it. But you need to you need to know somebody who's actually gone through it to say, oh no, yeah, it turned out being a pretty damn good idea to buy 25 bucks worth a week or 10 or whatever, you know, whatever makes sense for your particular situation and it ends up working out. Exactly. Um, I mean, <clears throat> the way you're doing it is working and we're seeing like right now like whatever's going on with bitcoin it's it's just moving when you it's it and as i said it's just kind of doing those impervious moves again where it kind of just gets ridiculous where it's you know it might dump but it, it just keeps going and doesn't really give a fuck and so there's obviously people buying it up but it's just because all it is at the end of the day is just supply and demand and there's more demand than there's supply so uh, that's the reason we see price heading up here and obviously heading up at a, you know, pretty vertical rate. Right. You know, there's, I had one more thought on the, uh, the benefits of sound money that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I've heard this said a couple of times and it's, it's starting to make more sense about, you know, why, um, 
why I believe we would see less war or um, uh, that kind of thing in a world where Bitcoin is more adopted as money. And I think it's just because the, the, the cost of violence at that point just gets more expensive. Like there's a, there's a big cost if you have to pay for, um, you know, all of the resources involved in, in that kind of <laughs> warlike activity with Bitcoin it just gets super expensive and you're going to really think twice about it right now. If it's just a line item on a balance sheet of something that just gets printed anyway, and you don't even have to worry about actually earning that money to then redeploy that capital to resources to achieve a goal. Like it doesn't, it it's meaningless to you, but if it, if it's sound money that you need to spend, like you're just not going to do it because the cost is so much higher. Like the cost of violence just increases. Um, and that's uh, it's kind of like a, a weird thing to think about because you don't know like, damn man, I can't believe we've been in Afghanistan or I pick any war, it doesn't matter for X number of years. Like how did we even afford to pay for that? And it's like, well, uh, I've lost, you know, 20% of my purchasing power over that time. So there's one of the things that was, that I lost from it, you know? Exactly. Uh, it's, it's something people don't think about. It's like, you know, if, as you said, if you're on a sound money thing, there'd have to be some kind of tax or something, or we'd have to be just capturing a bunch of, you know, resources, gold, etc. There'd have to be, you know, but obviously we're just, I mean, I think the U.S. has over 800 uh, bases worldwide. So you think about how much money that costs per base, you know, whether if the U.S. obviously owns land, but other times they're renting or leasing that land for X amount of years and they're paying that host country. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot of money. And then you think about the people, you know, stationed at those bases, you know, getting the supplies there, etc. There's a whole thing of logistics that costs so much money that people don't even think about. Right. And that's just one thing that um, the government pays for that it does, right? And we haven't even talked about roads, public schools, all of the, uh, the grants for education, um, healthcare, social security. I mean, that's just one thing. I don't even know that even with simple tax revenues, we could cover all of the military efforts. I don't, I don't even know that we could. Well, like the great example I mean, is when yeah. we delinked the U S dollar is because the sixties, you know, there is the, uh, the great society, they call it Johnson's great society after Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, you know, with all the, the social welfare programs coming in to play in the, you know, in the mid 60s to late 60s. Um, and then you have the Vietnam War going on. The Vietnam War wasn't cheap. We dropped more bombs in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam than we did all of World War II. I mean, and then you think about, um, you know, this time also in the military, it, there was an insane, it was like how, it was like some ridiculous number I've seen before, and I can look it up. It's like, 50,000 rounds were fired per kill in Vietnam. Like, it's insane. Uh, and it's just because the, the style of combat was also insane. We could go in depth with that, but that's not important. And what I mean by that is just the jungle warfare and the, the proximity of the fighting and how it generally happened was very, um, for grunts, basically, was not good. I mean, they, you know, you, they got ambushed a lot and a lot of the firefights were less than 30 seconds. So it, you know was not good for, you know, a lot of people, obviously. And it was one of the toughest wars, according to, you know, the Marines, for them. I mean, it's... But long story short, I mean, that's... We weren't just in Vietnam for 10 years until 75. We were in Vietnam 
right at the end of World War II as the Japanese Empire was collapsing at the end of World War II when we dropped OSS agents. We were in there for basically the better part of 30 years, 1945 to 75. So we had military advisors there um, in, you know, from the you know, 40s with the OSS and then through the 50s into the early 60s that started to ramp up with uh, President Eisenhower. And then when you had President Kennedy, that, that program ramped up a lot more into 64. And then in, I think it was 1960, was it 65 or 64 with the Gulf of Tonkin incident? I'm blanking. Ooh, on that's right a now. good question. I don't know the exact date on I that. I think it's 64, but we, we, we initially put troops like Marines, the first Marines to go on the beach, like 3,500 troops. Yeah, 64, August 2nd, 64. I thought it was 64, but the war didn't, we didn't officially go over there until um, 1965. I think it was early in the spring. But anyways, interesting about the Gulf of Tonkin incident was it never happened. The Maddox never actually took damage. And that was the premise for going to Vietnam. Right. I mean, that's um, that, that's kind of a tough story. And I, and I actually saw um, that mentioned in the... the um, the army tweet thread, yeah. um, just a, a, a couple of people had mentioned, you know, we've been, um, I don't know if baiting our, um, ourselves into war is the right way to say it, but, um, you know, not very honest press about certain incidents that end up being the justification for engaging in war. And I mean, it's just happened so many times now that, yeah. It's yeah, it's almost too obvious, and I think the only reason that you and I would even know about it is because the internet exists, and uh, people have gone to great lengths to talk as much about um, the truth for a lot of things that have happened over the course of history, and make sure people at least have the opportunity to take a deeper dive into that stuff. But when you realize that all of that is is funded from fiat, and that it couldn't have been funded. Otherwise, had um, there not been extreme manipulation of the money supply, you start to think differently about how things might have been different otherwise. And I really wish we would have lived in a time where sound money was pretty prevalent. I feel like it would have been really fucking dope, to be honest with you. But the good news is I hope that we're on that trajectory again because uh, what a time to be alive, you know? Yeah, what about Fortnite, though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fortnite's no. pretty legit. So Fiat has created. I, I, I never I've played never it, played. but I just had to, like I had to think of something that's like peak, like 2018, you know, 2017, you know, peak of the freaking everything bubble. Fortnite's definitely one of those. Um, but yeah, no, you're 100 percent right there. We're everything will be. You think about everything so backwards without some money, and so that's where it's like, holy shit! Right, you just get a lot of these distortions, and like it's kind of hard to explain to somebody. And somebody was actually. Um, you know, kind of doing a back and forth with me on Instagram earlier today about, you know, how important credit is for the economy and it just wouldn't grow otherwise. So, you know, we need fractional reserve and fiat or else the economy would just come to a complete standstill. Um, not only do I think um, that is absolutely ridiculous, I do understand the uh, the need for credit and its importance. But, you know, all that really is, is, and we're going to see lending in a, in a Bitcoin space. I mean, it exists already today. BlockFi is doing it. Um, Unchained Capital is doing it. There are ways to um, provide credit with your, your Bitcoin holdings. And I don't doubt that we'll see that, but it's different when you have a supply that's fixed. So you, you won't see those 
same major distortions that we've seen in the past. Um, and everyone's time preference all of a sudden starts lowering, right? Like you think twice about, I don't know, going to the bar and picking up the tab for everybody for 150 bucks or, you know, spending money on something really fucking stupid. Cause you're like, well, how many sats is that? How many sats could I have had otherwise? And that's like, that's what I use now as my, every time I'm about to spend fiat on something, I'm like, how many sats is that? Do I really need this right now? Can, uh, will this potentially lead to more sats in the future? <laughs> like <laughs> your whole mindset changes. And then somebody will say, oh, well, you know, that's bad for the economy because you're not spending. And it's like, well, everybody's time preference is just going to shift as, you know, people start adopting sound money, whatever they pick, you know, maybe they pick Bitcoin, maybe they pick gold, you know, whatever. Um, but it's, it's cool to see that time preference shift. And uh, I think it's going to lead to some some big changes. You know, I, products might last longer. Like your 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 phone upgrade cycle might start elongating. So the um, Apple might realize ten years from now that people don't want to give up a thousand bucks worth of Bitcoin because that's the only thing they accept hypothetically in a decade. Um, that you're gonna you want to upgrade, you know, uh, every 36 months instead of every 12. So they're going to stop the bullshit patches to, um, to that are going to make you want to update your phone every 12 months or every cycle. Uh, so the upgrade cycles get longer and then their sales pitch will shift to phones that last longer than the competition. And it'll, and it'll, it'll seem so natural. Oh, obviously, of course, you know, I, I want my phone to last me 36 months cause it's a good purchase for the value. Right. And then your whole mindset starts to shift. And now all of a sudden, um, products that have lifetime guarantees or are guaranteed to last a decade become the products that everybody wants to buy because nobody wants to buy something and throw it away next year. Cause they know it's like trash and shit quality. Well, I was going to say, um, you were saying, uh, no, no, I'm blanking on it. Um, what were you just saying on that last little bit there? Uh, products might last longer. Oh, the, the product, yeah, like yeah, the upgrade yeah, the cycles Apple. will last longer. Yeah, I know. It was on the tip of my tongue and I couldn't think of it. Yeah, no, um, it's exactly the issue we see with like the iPhone. The iPhones, for example, like Apple stopped sharing its iPhone. Well, it's also including uh, iMac and uh, iPad sales. But it stopped including them for like one huge reason. They're not fucking selling iPhone XS right now. It's it's absolutely insane. Um, and that's the reason they stopped sharing the numbers in their quarterly. And I meant to say quarterly reports are there. There's one big reason. And that's exactly why. Right. And that's a, that's a really good point to mention. Um, and if you're listening to this, keep your eyes and ears open. If you follow any equities markets or you, you like to hold stock in your favorite companies, listen for those changes of, you know, that should be such a huge red flag that we're not going to like tell you iPhone numbers or iPod numbers or whatever. Jack shit. They're just shit. Like the year over year must be that bad. Right. There's, there's absolutely a reason why they wouldn't share those figures. Um, and I think you'll see transparency start to shift and people, uh, certain firms will be much more transparent about, um, their sales figures because it will make more sense. And you'll, and you're seeing the opposite for those who are starting to struggle. And it's, it's really hard. I mean, I'm an Apple guy. I love Apple products. Um, I really, I really do. I think they're fantastic. Uh, I might switch to like 
Linux in the future, just because it might be uh, it might be uh, better and more secure for what I want to do in the future. But like, it's got to be a red flag if you're thinking about why Apple would stop showing their fucking iPhone numbers. I mean, that drives the majority of their sales. Uh, they're not doing it for fun, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at the chart right now. It doesn't look too pretty for Apple. Uh, I think it's going to definitely get impacted with the whole tr- trade war going on. Uh, there's no doubt, like, if China, people in China stop buying iPhones, that's a big issue. That's a lot of fucking demand there. Like, you can't, you know, I don't even know how many people are in China. Now. It's over a billion, obviously, the largest, but it's a stupid amount of iPhones. Yeah, that's a shitload of phones. Um, and it's it's hard, right? Because, like, they love them. Everybody loves their iPhone. And how how much does it need to be impacted via um, tariffs for someone to like make the switch to something else? Like, does does my iPhone need to go up to fifteen hundred bucks until I'm like, all right, shit, like I need to switch phones now because I I'm like not willing to drop fifteen hundred for a couple of reasons. One, because fifteen hundred is ridiculous for a phone, and two, because that's a lot of sats that I could have instead. <laughs> so it's like, do you, do you, do I switch to that HTC phone or whatever, 300 bucks that can run a full node and do all that? Like, do I switch there? You know, it, it's tough to say, I don't know yet. Cause we're not there yet, but if we're having the same conversation a year from now and, um, the tariffs have made everything much more expensive for all, per, all consumers across the globe. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to think twice about what they're buying and what they're, uh, what they used to use. They might switch to, um, Another another firm. Yeah, I mean the Apple chart does not look good on a monthly candle. That's all I'm gonna say right now. And I think we're I think US equity is about to get a rude awakening here. I mean I think it's more than abundantly clear that China's in this for the long game. Uh and the US is obviously stuck in this election cycle every four years. And so like no matter the US is like the only reason the Trump administration I'm not trying to talk politics right now, but the reason they obviously want the markets to do well is it's a good thing for re-election, um, of course, because if the markets eat shit in the bed, which it is going to shit the bed before 2020 election actually happens, like I just, there's no way this fucking, I, I don't care. I mean, even if there is a trade deal, it's going to be so weak. It doesn't matter. China and the U.S. are on a collision course. It's that simple. I hate to break it. I don't mean pessimistic, but they are. It's a rising power, you know, challenging the status quo power, the U.S., the dollar hegemony. I mean, it, and that was like why that, uh, was it Senator or something? I can't think of his name. He's, he's a Democrat. Brad Sherman. Brad Sherman. That's what it was. I, was, I knew it was, Brad, I thought it was Brad Andrews. And I was like, that's, that's not right. Brad Sherman. He openly, he knows 100% the, how Bitcoin works. Why? Because he realizes it completely takes away dollar hedge money. Uh, you know, um, for instance, with the U.S. sanctions on Iran, well, people in Iran can send Bitcoin out, you know, to other countries, whether it's for goods or services, et cetera. And why? Because there's, it doesn't have to like 95% of transactions in like almost all that are built the SWIFT banking system have to go through the New York Fed. They have to get cleared through there. That's why we have a slow system. And that which allows sanctions and other types of stuff like that. It allows the dollar to be an economic weapon. Right. When you, when you take a step back and think about how that actually works, um, this is, this is different now. This might be the first time that, uh, you could see, conflict between nations, um, especially with regards to, in this case, we'll talk about the, uh, the petrodollar. Um, 
you know, there's, there's different options now that countries can kind of opt into if they choose to, it's voluntary, right? If you want to, if you want to start using Bitcoin, you absolutely can. Um, so like that's different this time around, there's an additional option, a third party that is, has no affiliation to any government entity. And, um, like that's it. Like there's a different option this time around. So it will be interesting to see if any other nation chooses to take that leap um, and and go for it. So uh, I think that will make things more interesting at least this time this time around. But um, you know, why don't we very quickly go over the uh, what's going on with Binance margin trading uh, quickly? Yeah, and I'm just going to, obviously, we never recommend investment advice, and uh, this is not investment advice, but if you've never traded before or are new to crypto, don't even touch the margin. Don't even go near it. Stay away from it. That's all I yeah, say. I think that was a good, uh, yeah, a good way to give a precursor. Absolutely not financial yeah. advice, but um, yeah, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little scared that Binance is offering margin. I think it's a good thing because uh, the free market is providing leveraged um products, which is very greatly needed. It will hopefully increase um, liquidity into the marketplace. Um, it gives buy, uh, BitMEX some competition, which is nice. Yeah. But I'm more feel fearful for like the people that I know who are who have never traded um, a security in their life who signed up for Binance to trade shit coins are, are going to go, you know, 50x leverage trading and just get absolutely wrecked and liquidated like yeah. I don't even know how so much like, leverage yeah. they're allowing users to use, but even like for instance, Kraken allows five time leverage. Five times is a lot. I don't know if people realize it. Like, like when Bitcoin moved down twenty percent that one day, your whole position would have been wrecked if you entered at the like near the top. You just would have been hundred unless you had additional margin to cover that. But then it, you, your position would be hundred percent down, which isn't good. Um, yeah. Even you know, even four times leverage still like when if an altcoin moves. 10%, that's 40% of your position, you know, gone. Uh, so that is why I was saying steer clear of margin trading. Just if you're going to even dabble into crypto, stay clear of it unless you have experience. It's that simple. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's for the benefit of your sanity. Yeah, definitely. And um, the, the only good news is, is if someone does decide to do that and they get liquidated, they're just going to learn very quickly that that's not something that they should be doing. Yeah. And um, it, it will be a very quick economic lesson for you to to stay away from. And leverage. also with like with margin trading, well, there is like there's funding rates too. Um, I, I don't know how um, finances work, but like, for instance, like for the longest time, like longs were paid like recently in, on bitcoin or on bitmex excuse me were paid to hold positions so if you had a long and it was margined you were paid to hold that position like every funding rate which is like i think it's i can't remember exactly the time but it's once a day where you know longs were you know paid and then shorts had to pay so if you're short bitcoin you had to pay a fee for being short because you're letting you know do the margin so it's pretty interesting that's something pretty interesting i've heard people mention on twitter before where they've held positions underwater for long periods of time because they're getting paid money to hold it. Um, but that's just another thing about margin. A lot of people just, just shoot right into it. Don't understand the funding rates and whatnot like that. Right. It's a, it's a compliment. It's a complicated, like a, yeah, it's a in process. financial instrument. And like, I don't, I, 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 
you know, I've, I've been around markets a decent amount of time, but like, I wouldn't even think to go near that because it's, <laughs> it's not like, it's just not going to work out for me. And I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I can, uh, I can take like the, the, clear, the margin route. slider. Like, I'm just going to, you know, the slow and steady <laughs> thing is, is surprisingly working out this time around. And it's like, all right, I'm just gonna, cool. I'm going to do that. Save myself. Um, <sighs> the anxiety, the headache, the accounting, um, all of that stuff. Like, I'm just not going to have to worry about it, which is kind of nice. It's nice. This, this bull market or the, the next, uh, I don't want to say we're in one, but the next time that we 100% feel and know that we're in the middle of one, um, I'm going to be super happy and hopefully as stress-free as possible because I won't have to worry about, uh, all of that nonsense this time around. It's, it's going to be so different this time around. I can't believe I got in in 2017 and had to, and was thinking I was going to out trade everybody and make a ton of Bitcoin. Like I know that I'm not going to have to worry about it this time, which for me personally, like that's the best thing that I can do for me that maybe somebody wants to trade. That's okay. You like, you can do that. Um, but what I went through in 2017, there's just no shot. I'm going through it again. <laughs> I was just going to say like, I want to sleep well, like I'm going to yeah. sleep with a smile on my face, thinking about all those people that I don't like who haven't bought Bitcoin yet. And <laughs> it's going to be like, I'm going to sleep like a fucking baby. It's going to be awesome. I, I was just going to say like, even like in the reality of things, like altcoins did like hundred X's and, 2017 like there really wasn't much use for having margin like you didn't need it like people bought spot alts and even bitcoin itself did a 20x which is very impressive in one year that's 20 times right. your money a thousand dollars becomes twenty thousand dollars i mean so that is um and that's in one year which is in traditional markets people with no leverage people are like hey. right that's insane right yeah so i mean unless of course you buy a stock that goes just nuts in a year but that's very rare um, it, you know, it's it, and then you need to go with the altcoins doing hundred x. So that's why I just stay clear of margins. You know, it's just not financial advice, but just stick. <laughs> yeah, protect your stats, everybody. Yes. Uh, that was a good way to wrap it up, dude. That yeah. was awesome. Uh, well, thank you for listening. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube. If you enjoy watching YouTube. Uh, if you have Apple Podcasts, we very much appreciate any reviews, and uh, we love ratings. It helps us, you know, bumps us up so people see us, so we're just not this non-existent podcast. But we have 10 reviews now. We've hit double digits. That's awesome. uh, I would love to see us hit uh, 100. That'd be awesome. So if you're listening, please leave us a review and a rating. We will love you a long time. Thank you. <laughs> Stack stats, everybody. Peace.